This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Lord, as we open up your word, I pray for the illumination of your spirit. Open our eyes, our hearts, our minds. Father, I pray that you'll open our spirits to receive. Speak to us. Open our ears to receive it. And I pray, Lord, that we will embrace it. And I pray for the power of transformation through your word. Do a work in each and every one of us today. In your name we pray. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. Praise the Lord. We're in a series, we're ending a series uh, we've been in called Searching. We've been looking at key topics that people are seeking answers to and searching. Uh, They have questions and they're searching the answers to those. We've looked at seven or eight different topics because of time. I'm not going to go into all of those, but today we want to wrap that series up. Next weekend's Father's Day. Excited. Uh, We got a guest speaker, uh, uh, Bishop Walter Harvey will be with us. He's been here before. He's the president. President of the Black Fellowship of the Assemblies of God and a great friend of Christian Life Center. And he's going to be here next weekend. Uh, we're going to have uh, photo booths. We're going to have, uh, if you have children, young children, we're going to have uh, donuts and things next door where you can uh, just spend some time with your children. I want to invite you. Come on out. Bring your children, Dad. Uh, all the sons in the house. If your dad lives in the area, give him a call. It won't just be a week for fathers only. It'll It'll be a week, though, where we'll focus on men, and we're excited uh, to do that. So all of the ladies in the house, uh, pull your husband out next weekend. Make sure he's here. You know, promise him a good steak dinner afterwards or something, whatever it is that you have to do to get him here. Get him here. Uh, Did I say that out loud? Whatever you got to do to get him here next week, get him here, because I know that God has a powerful, powerful world, a word for him. So the word today is uh, a word that I want to wrap up with. I want to wrap up our series on searching, and it's how to live godly in an ungodly world. Now, this message honestly affects all of us, touches all of us, and that is how do you and I, how do we live godly in this world that we live in that is ungodly? So let's establish the fact that we do live in an ungodly world. The world around us is filled with evil deeds. This is what John 3.16 says. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light. They love darkness instead of light. Why? Because their what? Their deeds were evil. You see, they loved sin more than they loved God. They were enslaved and in bondage to sin. And therefore, the love of the Father we would find is not in them. They loved darkness more than they loved the light. Look at this next verse in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. Do not, say do not, do not love the world. Now, let's define that for a moment. If you're taking notes, you may want to just circle world and off of it. Do a, just do a couple little notes. And that is, when he says, do not love the world, what he's talking about or what we must understand is that the world that we live in has a value system. 
The world that we live in has passions and, and, and pleasures and possessions and, 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 and things that will create pride in us and, and drive us to have these positions of authority or influence. The value systems, the behaviors, the ways of thinking, the attitude of the world. So he says, do not love the world or anything in the world, the values, the behaviors, the systems of this world. Why? Is because if anyone loves those things, these values, these beliefs, these behaviors of the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. He goes on to say, for everything in the world, the cravings of the sinful man, the lust of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does, does not come from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but the man who does the will of God will what? Will live forever. Then when we focus on things above, it'll lead to eternity with God the Father. Now, we have to understand as we set this up that God has given to each and every one of us a free will in his sovereignty. He created us with an ability to choose right from wrong. We're not robots. We're, we weren't created to, to respond a certain way and to do a certain thing and to act like a machine would act off an assembly line. We were created with this ability to choose, to make the choice of, of right or wrong. We, we were created with this free will and in that free will comes choices. Now, we have to understand that there's a balance of this theological thought, and if we're not careful, we can fall off of one side or the other, but we've got to see that God created us in his sovereignty with that ability to make choices. For example, if God filled this world with, with, with uh, in, in a sense, our spiritual life, he, he fills it with stop signs. Let me take it to the natural we have stop signs and red lights and, and we have all of these things that guide us as we drive and, and as we, as we are, are going down the road. It helps us to, to keep chaos uh, and, 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 and to avoid collisions and, and crashes. Uh, and they're there, these stop signs and red lights are there to protect us and to help us. Well, in God's ways, God filled the world with stop signs to tell you and I what is right and wrong. The laws that we have in, 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 in nature, a, a conscience that we have within us, the word of God that God has given to us, his spirit that now is in us, all of these things guide us as to what are the stop signs and red lights in our life. He's given every one of us, a, in a sense, an alarm system within us that, that when we're going to run through a stop sign, that, that we're going to have a collision, that something goes off. Some of you have modern cars that, 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 that if a car is braking and you're not braking as fast as the car in front of you is braking, all of a sudden your dashboard starts to light up. And if you don't pay attention to it, it even starts to break a, a brake for you. Wise to protect the crash, to protect what will come. Well, the reality is God has created that in every one of us. But the problem is, is we run through stop signs. And when we run through these red lights and stop signs, it creates a crash. The world around is evil. It's ungodly. And when we choose to follow these ungodly ways and decisions and behaviors and values of the world, we're making a choice. 
to run through the light. We're making a choice to avoid what God would say will lead to consequences of a collision or a crash in your life. Now, Paul will take this and he'll go really deep on it. I don't, I don't want to dive as deep as he will, but it is a good personal Bible study. And that is in Galatians 5.19. In 5.19, Paul will begin to show you all these stop signs that God is saying to mankind, be careful, don't run through these stop signs. In fact, Paul will call it the sins of our flesh or our sinful nature. And let's be honest that our sinful nature, our flesh is very, very strong. Can I just get an agreement? The flesh craves, it desires, it dominates, it drives us to do what we don't want to do, what we know we shouldn't do. But the flesh is so strong that if we give in to the flesh, the fruit of that flesh, living it out in that draw and that craving is that we begin to enter into sin and that sin begins to take root in our heart. So Paul will list out all of these things and as he begins to list them out, he's saying these are stop signs. Be careful. You don't want to give in to these things. Last year in our spiritual growth campaign called Fight, we begin to talk about the, this battle of the sinful nature and our carnality and the carnal man and the works of the flesh and the spirit that indwells us. And Paul says that we must walk in the spirit and live in the spirit and be, be set apart by the spirit. But there's a battle that's going on. There's a fight that we have to fight. We all can recognize that, right? We, we understand it. And let's be honest, within ourselves, we don't have the power, we don't have the ability to win the fight and to walk in the Spirit, but when we surrender to the Lord and we invite the Holy Spirit into our life, we receive a power or an anointing that enables us to win the battle, to win the fight, and to walk in obedience and to find victory in our spiritual life. It's beautiful when you get to this place in your spiritual journey. But the flesh is fighting for control. The flesh is driving you by your passions. The flesh is pushing you. But when God's spirit anoints you, you're able to overcome. How are you able to do it? Well, today, I wanna give you a couple thoughts. First of all, how can you live godly in an ungodly world? The first thing I want you to write down is that you've got to avoid deception. Say that with me, avoid deception. You see, a lack of knowledge, a lack of knowledge is the doorway to deception. That's why I'm proud of you today. You're, you're tuning in, you're here, you're, you're present. Because as we learn the word, we embrace the word and we commit to live by the word. We're developing our knowledge that gives us the wisdom of how to apply it to our lives. Because a lack of knowledge is the doorway to deception. Jesus said this, Matthew 24, Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. In fact, in this passage of Matthew 24, he's talking about the end days, the last days. And he's saying, in the last days, there will be many that will be deceived. 
In Matthew 24, he's giving a warning of what will happen in the last days. In church, we're getting more and more to that place of seeing what Jesus was talking about in the signs of the times of the last days. And the warning that he's given in Matthew 24 in this whole chapter really is watch out. Because deception will be at an all-time high. That even believers, Christ followers, must be on guard and be aware and avoid deception. Because if we're not, we will become blinded and we will be pulled away. And as we are pulled away, we will give in to that which is deceiving us. You see, as people of God, we've got to learn how to grow in wisdom and discernment. They're two different things. Wisdom is God's principles and standards and God's ways. And we learn how to apply God's principles and ways to our everyday situation. By the way, that's the problem in the church. A lot of people know what to do. They know what God says. They know what the word of God says. They understand what right is wrong is, but they don't apply it to their lives. They're not walking in wisdom. That's why Paul would say, wake up, O sleeper. Don't be foolish in this day. You've become deceived. And because you've become deceived, you're not applying God's principles to your everyday life. Discernment is learning to hear the Spirit. Discernment is, is this guidance that the Holy Ghost will give to us and we will sense through wisdom of God's principles what to do in every decision that we'll make. A definition of deception, if you're taking notes, is that one is cheated. That there is this false impression, there's a false idea or an, an attitude or a statement or an influence that they take a hold of. And boy, Satan is crafty, isn't he? He sets the bait before you and I, and he tries to get us ensnared and entangled so that now we are bound by the sin and the habits and the power of sin in our life. And he's doing that by deception causing us to be blinded so that we cannot see. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 6. In verse 11, and all of Ephesians, by the way, is Ephesians 6 especially. Ephesians 6 is about how do you as a believer walk in victory? How are you victorious in your life? Ephesians 6, he's dealing with that. And he gets to the point, now we're talking about avoiding deception. And he says, put on the full armor of God. Now, let me just say, first of all, if you want to walk as a believer and you want to be overcoming and you want to see victory in your life, you want to live godly in an ungodly world, let me tell you right now, a key is putting on the full armor of God. Not just talking about it, not just knowing what each piece is about, not even just praying about it and having a theological study about it. Most people, when they talk about the armor of God, that's what they do but they don't put on. And by the way, you gotta put it on. You don't just acquire it, you put it on. And Paul would say, put it on every single day. Put on the armor of God. And I'm gonna say it aloud. You know what the problem is? Many Christians are walking around and they haven't put on their armor and therefore they're walking around naked when it comes to their spiritual weapons and warfare and they're not able to stand up against the enemy. 
Now, here's the thing, and it's the revelation today, is that when we learn how to live godly in an ungodly world, we learn these principles, we are victorious, and we're an overcomer, and we're not deceived, and we are not being, if it would be, enticed to give in in our spiritual life. Can I hear an amen? So he says, put on the armor of God. Why? So that you will be able to stand firm. So you can stand firm. You can live godly in an ungodly world. You can be an overcomer. You've got the ability to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy, the devil. Now, the enemy, by his very name, reveals his tactic. I mean, Satan, his name means slanderer. He is the accuser of the brother. He is the tempter. And Satan, by his nature, is crafty and he uses trickery. He has schemes that, that, that tries to get us not to stand firm and not put on the armor of God. And before we know it, we're standing there powerless because he's promoting sin and we give in to sin. And by giving in to that temptation, when we get into sin, we become enslaved to that sin. So man, it's powerful for you and I to see what Paul is saying is that we can stand firm when we understand what is the line of God's moral righteousness. It's called a plumb line in life. Construction workers, builders, they will build walls, they will build houses by using a plumb line. That's the standard. That's the line that they build on. Well, God has given you and I a plumb line, a holy standard, a a, a standard of righteousness for us. And when we understand what that line is between right and wrong, and it does not become blurred to us, then all of a sudden we begin to receive a power because we recognize that we are not being deceived by the attack of the enemy and there is power and peace and joy and victory in that position. It's putting on the armor of God. It's standing firm in our righteousness. Now the scripture is very clear that there are things that deceive us. All, all of us, we fight regularly. You don't win this battle one time. If you win it today, you might be facing it again next week or next month. But there is a battle that is always at war because we have a sinful nature and therefore we stay vigilant and we stay aware. Why do I come back to this so often in, in, in our services here is because it is a on, it's an ongoing battle. And we bring our hearts back. We get our hearts aligned. We yield, we surrender, we repent, we renounce. We come back to him repeatedly over and over again. There's things that will deceive many today. The Bible says riches, the deceitfulness of wealth. It chokes out the word of God and it makes it unfruitful in our life. What will deceive us is our own rationalization. And we'll talk about that a little more in a moment. But we rationalize away our convictions, the plumb line of God's holy standard that the Holy Spirit has given to us. We rationalize in our deception that it's okay for that line to move a little bit. Oh, that's not really a line. That's not really what God said. That's not really what is meant. And we rationalize it away. And boy, Satan now becomes the great deceiver who wants to get us off the path of righteousness and wants to get you deceived that you will conform to the world. 
Now remember, the world, again, is its values, its behaviors, its attitudes. We're not to be like the world. We're not to be in the world and of the world. We're to be of the world, but not like the world. And we're not to let the world change us, but we're to change the world. And the problem is believers are more like the world than they are the nature and the character of God. And therefore, they're not impacting the world. They're, they're becoming like the world. They're adopting the values, the behaviors, and the attitudes of the world. And they're rationalizing it and justifying it. Why? It's because of deception. Remember, ignorance, knowledge, a lack of knowledge is the doorway to deception. Paul shows us in Colossians, he shows us what a believer looks like. Look here in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, you're, you're a Christ follower. You've given your life to Christ. You're one of his children. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you're loved by God. Clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. Now, if you were to go up in your study this week and, and read the first 12, uh, the first 11 verses of chapter 3 before verse 12, what is he talking about is that you got to strip off your old life, the garments that are filthy and the old life that, that is so much in, encompassed who we are in our old nature. We got to strip off the clothing of our old life and now clothe ourselves, put on a new nature in Jesus Christ. So Paul was dealing with the same issue with the church of Colossae. He was saying to them, you can live godly in an ungodly world, but it requires that you strip off all of that which was a part of your old life and clothe yourself. Clothe yourself with what? Well, he's going to begin to talk about the new nature and new behaviors and new attitudes that we have to encompass or, or take on in our life. And that is compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. And, and there's other passages of scripture that show us that there's so many more characteristics of who Christ is that we have to take on and, 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 and clothe ourselves with that. Many times, I'm gonna switch over to the handheld. Many times, it's called the fruit of the Spirit, that we grow the fruit. We put on the fruit. We clothe ourselves with it because as we clothe ourselves with it, what happens is we stand strong against deception. So how do you live godly in an ungodly word, world? First of all, you do what? Avoid deception. Secondly, we must beware of compromise. They're different. Deception and compromise are different. Compromise is you know what's right. You know what the plumb line is of God's holy righteousness. You understand that there's a stop sign. That is a, an area of caution. You know what to do, but you choose not to do it. In fact, compromise is that you move the line. God shows you what the line is of his holy standard, but you move it. Amos chapter seven deals with that, and it makes it very clear that they moved the line of God's holy standard. Now, the enemy's constantly trying to get us to do that. In fact, he even did it with Jesus. In Luke chapter four, we have the story of the temptations of Jesus. And three different times, he comes to Jesus and he says, if you are the son of God, 
If you will, then this will happen. He did it with Eve in the garden. Did God really say? Did God really say that you will be like him? Did God really mean what he said? And what is he doing? The enemy, as he tempts, he's getting you and me to a place where we will say, it's okay, we can do it. Everybody else is doing it. And we begin to hear the accuser, the one that lies, the deceiver. He's speaking to you and I in our spirit and in our ear. And he's beginning to make us feel like, oh, it's okay. Just this once. It's all right. I can repent. I can ask God to forgive me and I'll be okay. And all of a sudden, the enemy is putting these arguments against the knowledge of God into our mind and in our spirit. And if we're not careful, we begin to buy into it. James 4, 17 says this. He says, anyone who knows, underline it, who knows. See, this is where it deals with compromise. We know the good. We know the standard of God's holy righteousness. We have convictions that we know is what God wants for you and I, but we move the line in compromise. The one who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. See, compromise begins to rationalize, begins by rationalizing that I can move the line. Now, by the way, This hits all of us today. I know you're quiet because it hits all of us today. We've got to avoid deception and we must beware of compromise. So the takeaway in your prayer this week is really, God, where have I been deceived? And probably for many of us, it's more, where am I compromising? Where am I moving the line? Where am I rationalizing? Where have I not allowed the convictions of your word and the principles of who you are and what you've said is right and wrong? Where have I moved that line? Paul says in Galatians 5, he he really gives us a metaphor that helps us to understand really what happens when we compromise. Galatians 5, 9, Paul says this, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Another word for yeast is leaven. A little yeast leaven works through the whole batch of dough. What Paul was talking about here in Galatians 5 is Paul is making the case for absolute truth, for the line, the plumb line of God's holy standard of righteousness. He's making the case for that. And now what he says is that if you allow a little bit of compromise, a little bit of leaven, a little bit of untruth, it will corrupt the whole. Now, the enemy will say to you and I, no, a little bit of compromise is acceptable and it's okay and everybody else is doing it. And Paul is reminding the church in uh, in Galatians here that a little bit will corrupt the whole. Leaven stood all through scripture to represent evil and corruption. And here, if it is allowed in, if I compromise a little bit, the uh, fermentation of that will begin to have an infection and it will begin to take over a little bit by a little bit and a little bit will influence everything because of the deception and the compromise that comes. So Satan tries to get you to compromise your convictions. He tries to get us to say, it's okay to move that line. I can do it. And the more we move the line of God's holy standard, as we rationalize it away, 
Paul would say it will impact the whole. Boy, how does the enemy try to get us to compromise? And in what ways? Well, he tries to get us to compromise in our moral standards. He tries to get us to compromise our integrity, maybe our integrity at work. Integrity Integrity means that you and I have a code. There is a standard, a a code of values that we refuse to go below or we're not going to move. We're not going to give up on it. We're not going to step over that. So he's working on your integrity. He's working on you in the workplace. He's working on us in our relationships. He's working on us in our Christian witness. He's working on our faith. He is working overtime. And that is why Paul would say, we, the church, must stay together and walk together and spur one another on because it's all of our attack. It's all of our warfare. It's the attack of the enemy, and you're not walking through it alone. So you stir and spur one another on and encourage one another. In fact, one of the greatest areas that the enemy is striving to get us to compromise in is the area of greed. Greed is probably the biggest reason for compromise in people's life, a desire for more and more and more. And remember what Jesus was offered by Satan. Satan offered Jesus all the things of the world if he would just compromise a little bit. And that's his method today for you and I, a little compromise is okay. So the warning that our authors are telling us, primarily Paul, the warning is that the same devil that tempted Jesus is the same devil that tempts you and I, and he's tempting us to say what the world offers is something that is appealing, and it's okay, you can move the line, you can step over it, it's all right, you can do it, and as you move it, what happens is we don't realize that on the other side of God's holy standard of righteousness, we have hit the wall, we We've crashed, we've ran through the red light and we're left empty, miserable, lonely and we we find within that there's a void because we have done what we've wanted to do and it left us in a crash of our lives. It's the truth. And we must be aware of it. And therefore we've got to set some standards. Let me call those standards convictions. It's an old word, but I like it convictions of the Holy Spirit that get rooted into your spirit. You know what the problem is, is many Christians today do not have convictions. There's not a line. They're not following what's the standard for God and what does God desire for me and my house. This is how we will serve the Lord. There's not a line. So they look like the world. They drink like the world. They do this like the world. They do that like the world. I don't want to mention stuff. They, they just start acting like the world. And we don't have standards for what we'll watch, where we'll go, what we'll say, how we'll treat others, the entertainment that we will fill our minds with, the relationships that we will have, what will happen when we go on a business trip, what happens when someone makes me angry. All of a sudden, there is no line. We've not clothed ourselves. We've not put on the armor of God. We've not clothed ourselves with the fruit of the Spirit. No, we've put on the garments of this world because we're in the world and we're of the world and we put on the garments of the world. And Satan says, oh, you can go to church on Sunday and now it's even, you go to church half the time, it's okay. That's what, that's what we think. And we, man, without even realizing it, we clothe ourselves 
with the values, the behaviors, the beliefs of this world. So how do you live godly in an ungodly world? First of all, you've got to avoid deception. Secondly, you must beware of compromise in your heart, in your life. Thirdly, and really this is now the strategy, and I wrap this up here. It's the strategy for victory in the last days, and victory is yours. You can be victorious. How do you, how do you live godly? It's the strategy, and the strategy is set your, first of all, heart. When you set your heart, let me show you the verse where it comes from, and it'll begin to make sense. Colossians 3, we read Colossians 3 a few minutes ago up in verse 12. Now we're gonna go back to verse one. Colossians 3, 1, Paul says this. Since then, since you have been raised with Christ. So he's saying, listen, since you're a follower of Christ, since you've given your life to Christ, since you call yourself a Christian, if that is true of you, now if you're not a Christian, you're not a believer, then you can ignore this. But if you're a believer, if you call yourself a Christian, he says, set your hearts on things above. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You see, your hearts, if you circle it, the heart is the center of our emotions. It's the essence of who we are. It's your very being. It really is your emotions. It, it really is the, 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 the passions of your life. It's the essence of your being. And so when we talk about set your heart on things above, he's giving us a step of how do we live victoriously and godly in an ungodly world. And what he's really saying is make a commitment in your heart, in your emotions, in your feelings, in the essence of who you are, in your passions and desires, set your heart, make a commitment to God's standards. Set your heart on things above. Set your heart on God's standards, not on the things of this world. So set your heart on the standards of God. You learn that word. You learn his standards. You learn to love his truth. You learn to live the truth and walk in the truth. You determine in your heart, your emotions, your feelings, everything of your heart is set on the things above. What you're saying is, God, I wanna overcome evil and I wanna live daily for you and my eyes and my heart is on you and I determine in my heart that I'm going to follow you. Can I hear an amen? So that then when we begin to face the reality of temptation and sin begins, the, the temptation to get us to sin comes at us, there is something that's been set within me. I've made a commitment to the standard of God's holy, righteous ways that says, no, my heart is on things above, not the passions of my flesh or the desires of my flesh. I learned to control those desires. Why? It's because my heart is set on things problem is, is for many, they've not set their hearts on things above, but on things below. Their heart is set on things that lead to pride, lead to passions of their flesh, lead to possessions in this world, leads to all of those things that the world offers us. The values of the world, 
So Paul would say to you and I in another passage, how do we overcome is that we recognize that our hearts within us are drawn to the things below, but God is calling us because we're believers to things above. And when I get caught looking at and chasing and running after the things below, repentance turns my heart to the things above. Repentance gives me victory, gives me peace, and it gives me joy. So first of all, how do I walk in this victory of living godly in an ungodly world as I set my heart? Secondly, in verse two, he says this, Colossians 3, 2. Set your minds, circle that, on things above, not on things below. You set your mind. Now, your mind is those thoughts it's those attitudes, it's, it's, it's those things that, that we begin to question and we rationalize. It's those things that, that push us to begin to compromise. And if our minds are not on things above and they're on things below, it will pull us and we will find ourselves compromising. So when I set my mind on things above, practically, I'm saying, God, I wanna know you better. I wanna learn your ways. I wanna learn how to apply it to my life. I want to know what you, you say. What is your word saying to me? I want to protect my heart and my life from error. I don't want to compromise. I don't want to be deceived. I want victory in every temptation. I want to learn to reject temptation. I want to learn to turn away from temptation so that I don't get bound in sin. I'm setting my mind on things above. And thirdly, you set your eyes. You set your heart, you set your mind, and you set your eyes. What do you mean your eyes? Well, in Hebrews, Paul is still the writer. I believe he wrote Hebrews, in my opinion. Hebrews 12, 2, he says, let us do what? Fix our eyes. Other translations say, look to Jesus, fix our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. I look to Jesus. I fix my eyes on things above. If I'm looking to Jesus, I'm fixing my eyes on him. I want his nature to become my nature, his passions to be my passions. I want the drive of my life to align with the purposes of God in my life. I fix my eyes on Jesus. Paul says it this way over in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4.18. So we fix our eyes. Not on what is seen, things below, things of this world, the values, the, the, the systems of the world, the behaviors of this world. I don't fix my eyes on that. No, I fix it on what is unseen, that which is above, the wisdom of God, the ways of God, the nature of God, the purposes of God. I fix my eyes, my motivation, my heart, my mind, my eyes are on that. Fix my eyes on that. For what is seen, that which is below, the values and the things of this world are what? Temporary. They will not last, but the things that are above, unseen, are eternal. They will last for eternity. When we understand that, it brings victory to our lives. Church, you can live godly. 
in an ungodly world. You can live godly in an ungodly world. And I know you want to. I know it's the longing of your heart. And the reality is a lack of knowledge is the doorway to deception. So today, the illumination of the word of God will bring victory to your life. Let's give the Lord praise. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.